Uh, we've been in a series in the Gospel of Luke called The, the King uh, and um, the Cross. And uh, we're going to carry on with that today. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke 17. But before we go there, I, I don't know if you've ever seen one of these adverts. Uh, this new advert called What's Your Speed? I don't know if you've seen it, where it's kind of you've got two kids that are in a car. And one of the kids, their dad is taking them to like karate classes. And he's kind of speeding and, and jumps a bit of a red light. And the kind of kids are starting to get quite anxious. And then suddenly it's like, bang, there's a crash. And it kind of just leaves it there and says, you know, what's your speed? And we've all seen adverts like that where it's a bit like a bit of a shock. And um, sometimes it ruins my evening, to be honest. But uh, those adverts are supposed to shock you so that you would make good choices. Right? That's what they're trying to do. They're supposed to kind of leave a bit of an impression. Well, the, the passage we're going to read today, Jesus is doing the same thing. He says something that's it's kind of quite strong and it's supposed to grab your attention and really make you think that you would make good choices. And so you'll see that as we read it, some challenging words in there. Uh, but we're going to read it together. We're really going to look from verses 20 onwards, but I'm going to read from verse 11 just to give us the context that I think will help. So let's read. Um, it's Luke 17, uh, starting from verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, this is Jesus, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered the village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And they went and they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to his disciples, The days are coming. When you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and then the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who's on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who's in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife, who seeks to preserve his life, will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you that in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken away, the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? He said to them, where the corpses, there the vultures will gather. This is God's word. Let's pray. We'll look at this together. Lord, we do thank you for the Bible and just for the richness of the text that we've read this morning. 
And Lord, as we study these scriptures, we pray, just let us do so humbly. Lord, as we, we, as we know, we'll be challenged by what you say. Um, so Lord, we just pray, will you be with us by your spirit? Let us see truth through this passage, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The passage, really, I kind of break it down in three ways. And the first part, Jesus begins to talk about the coming of the kingdom. That what he's talking about is that he will come again. The king, his kingdom will come again. Right? And, and then he begins to talk about not being distracted until that time comes. And then he, he kind of finishes with talking about the secret of kind of in the kingdom. You, you must lose your life to find it. And so we're going to look at each three of those. And for the first five verses, he begins to talk about the coming of the kingdom. And he's addressing two different crowds, the Pharisees, the do-gooders, the law-keepers. And, and when he's discussing with the Pharisees, first of all, he begins to talk to them about what the kingdom of God is like. Well, you've got to know two things about the Pharisees and what they thought about the kingdom of God. The first is that they thought it was something that was going to be a geographical place that could be observed. They thought that when God spoke about the kingdom of God, it would be like a physical kingdom coming in, the Romans being marched out, Caesar being marched out, and then there would be like a territory. And, and, and so Jesus begins to dispel that straight away by literally saying, it's not coming with signs to be observed. You're not going to see it in that way. Well, the other thing that the Pharisees thought is that it was just a future event. That the coming of God's kingdom, that when Jesus Christ comes again, as he's promised, it'll be, it's only going to be a future event. The kingdom's not here now, it's only in the future. Which is where Jesus kind of brings this teaching, this mysterious teaching of the kingdom, where he says, no, no, it's not here or only there, that the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. In fact, the Greek word entos, it kind of means inside, in the midst, it's kind of within your grasp. What Jesus is saying is, because I'm here, the kingdom is here. And a couple of weeks ago, Andrew spoke about the kind of tension of the kingdom being both now and not yet. Jesus ushered in the kingdom. He was doing signs and wonders, miracles, amazing things. The kingdom was already breaking out. But there's an element that it won't come again fully until he returns. But the Pharisees, they couldn't see it. It was right under their noses. It was in their midst, but they, they couldn't see it. Which is why Luke tells us this story about the ten lepers just before. Because you get these ten lepers and, and Jesus heals them all, but nine of them just wander off and carry on with their daily life. It's only one, the, 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 the Samaritan, the foreigner, who recognises that the kingdom is amongst him and he comes back and he praises Christ. The other nine, they don't even recognise that the kingdom is breaking out. And Luke tells us that story to kind of, it points, that that's what the Pharisees are like. They, they couldn't even see it. It was right in front of their eyes, they couldn't see it. The kingdom was already breaking out. And then Jesus begins to talk to his disciples because they too have these questions about, well, where is the kingdom of God coming? And Jesus says some things to them. But the main thing that Jesus says is talking about when the Son of Man returns. The Son of Man is terminology that comes from Daniel 7. If, if, if you know the book of Daniel where there's kind of visions and one of them is of the Son of Man returning again. And, and Jesus wants to correct these disciples. And one of the things that he says to them is that people are going to, when it comes to the kingdom of God, people are going to say to you, oh, look over here. Oh, look over there. It's coming here. It's coming there. It's coming at this time. And he says, don't follow them. In fact, we've seen people do that, don't you? You hear people, a lot of teaching, there's a lot of Christians, a lot, they get very kind of obsessed with these things. Oh, the kingdom of God is coming at this time and at that time, and they want to get caught up with all of those things. The kingdom of God is going to come over here. Jesus, don't follow those people. 
And then instead he gives an illustration. He says, the kingdom of God is going to be like lightning lighting up the sky. That's what he says, like lightning flashing and lights up the sky from one side to the other. I, I don't know if you've ever been in a thunderstorm. I remember actually being, um, when I was in school, went to Ravensbourne, not far from here. We was, I remember that one lunchtime, we were all out and suddenly this storm came. And it was literally like, and they kind of blow the whistle, they must have blown the whistle or whatever, and we all had to go inside. It was pandemonium. Like hundreds of kids have all had to go in the hall, and the teachers suddenly realised, man, this, is, this hasn't gone to plan, you know, because there's kids running about and screaming and panicking and there's all this thunder and lightning. It's quite exciting. You, maybe you've been in a thunderstorm in school. Or another occasion, I was on a stag do. In fact, Ed, back on the desk before he got married, we went, we'd done some activities down in Maidstone, and then in the evening, the plan was they was all going to stay in some kind of these log cabins, if you like, I came home, one, because I quite like my own bed, and two, because I had to be here on Sunday. And so I drove home, and as I'm driving home, this huge thunderstorm came, and I was quite smug at the fact that they were all going to be in these log cabins, and I was going to be at home in my nice warm house. But if you've ever been in a thunderstorm, you don't need anyone to tap you on the shoulder and say, I think there's a thunderstorm. You know if you're in it, right? You know if you're in a thunderstorm. It's like you don't need someone to second, oh, has it come yet? Is there a thunderstorm? You know. And Jesus is saying, you haven't got a second guess when he comes again. You will know. It will be very public. It will be very obvious when Jesus returns. You, you, you won't need to be thinking, oh, has it, has it happened? I don't know yet. What do you think? It will be very public. And so he's making that really clear. But before that happens, Jesus says, there's some things that have got to happen. Before that happens, you think, oh, what's he got to do before? But, you know, I'm going to come in victory and judgment. I'm going to come in glory and kind of establish my kingdom. Okay, but there's something I've got to do. You think, what have you got to do? You've got to kill Caesar? Maybe kill the Romans? Maybe set out your territory? He says, no, first, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. You think, hold on a minute, Jesus. That doesn't, doesn't sound like a good plan in building a kingdom. But what you've got to see is that what Jesus is saying is that I'm going to come in victory. I'm going to come. I'm going to have defeated sin and death. I'm going to crush the head of Satan. But in order to do that, I must suffer. I must go to the cross. I must take on the, the guilt and the punishment and the pain of all, the, of all people. I must do these things. I must suffer and go into the grave that I can then defeat the power of death and rise again. That's what Jesus is saying. It's all part of the plan. Sometimes we can get confused and think, when I was a kid, I remember when I first heard the story about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane gets arrested. And I thought, no, Jesus, what are you doing? You should have, they should have got away. Because you kind of don't really understand the story. Sometimes you think, Jesus, you should have hid in the garden or something. Or couldn't you have used your powers to get him away? You have to remind, no, this was part of the plan. Jesus wasn't tricked. He wasn't caught. He wasn't bullied or manipulated. He chose to do this because he knew that in order to defeat the power of sin and death, this is what he had to do. It was all part of the plan to bring his kingdom in. It's that phase one. I'm going to suffer and be rejected. And we have to hold on to that verse because as we read these next few passages, the coming of the kingdom involves Jesus Christ suffering. We know that he does that because of the love that he has for his people. He does that because he loves people and wants them to know peace with God. That's why he does it. So when we read these next few verses that are challenging, we have to read it in light of, oh, Jesus is saying these things, but he's already saying what he's going to do. He's going to suffer and be crucified and go through such pain in order that we may know God. And so then what Jesus begins to do is outline, right, this is what, this is, the kingdom is coming. You haven't got to worry about when it's coming or, or, or you've got to know, it is coming. I am going to come again in righteousness and judgment. 
And what you need to worry about, these next few verses, is really don't be distracted. That's kind of what Jesus is getting at. I don't want you to be distracted. And he uses two Old Testament stories that the hearers would have been very familiar with, and I think we probably are, to explain that. You all know the story of Noah? Yeah, we all know the story of Noah. He talks about Noah first. Whereas in Noah's day, he says they were busy eating, drinking, marrying with one another, doing this, and, and then suddenly, once they got into the ark, the judgment of God came. And then he tells the story of, of Lot. You might notice the story of Sodom, where again, the same thing happens. And you sort of think, Jesus, what are you getting at here? Are you trying to say that we shouldn't do these things? Maybe we need to starve ourselves, we don't need to eat? I also hope not. You know, I've got jollof uh, rice for lunch. You know, I hope Jesus ain't saying he can't eat. I don't know what you got for lunch. Oh, you can't marry, you can't do this, you can't do anything. I hope that's not what he means. It's not what he means at all. What Jesus is saying is that there's nothing in, wrong with these things in and of themselves. But what happened in this day and what can happen in our days, they can become distractions. They can take us away from God. When I read this passage, I was thinking, why doesn't Jesus include... Because you know in, in the day of Lot and the day of Noah, they were doing some very wicked and perverse things. You think, why didn't Jesus mention those things? I think the reason that is is because then some of us would go, oh, look how bad they were. We're not doing those things. But all of us eat, drink, sleep. Jesus is talking to us. He's talking to those. You know, this is, this is for you. These things, friends, can easily become a distraction for us. We can easily let them be the, the focus. We can easily get very just concerned and consumed with these things and they can take all of our attention. And, and this is what happened here. And, and Jesus doesn't mince his words in what happened to those people. And, and, and I won't either. He says they were destroyed. That's what happens. They, they were destroyed. He says it twice. We often don't like to, to read these parts of the Bible. That's what he says. Maybe we can think, oh, but that was, that's what it's like in the Old Testament. You know, there was all sorts of things. God was, was angry. And he, no, no, what does it say? Verse 30. So will it be on the day when he comes again. So will it be that there's many people that have got consumed with all the things that are going on in this world. Let them become a distraction that they forgot. Give no regard to God. Friends, I say this not to fear-monger you or anything. I say this out of love. The return of Jesus Christ is serious business. It's serious business. That he will come to deliver definitive judgment. He will divide people by their choices. And It's something that we don't often like to talk about. It can make us feel a little uncomfortable. It makes me feel uncomfortable, but it's in the text. We're not making this stuff up. This is the words of Christ. And we can think, oh man, Jesus is so harsh. But if you read the Bible at all, you know that God is loving and merciful and just. God is loving and merciful and just. And and, and he talks about these things, not because he just wants to judge and condemn us. In fact, the opposite is true. If you read, maybe this could arguably be the most famous scripture in in all of the Bible, most well quoted, and I love it, John 3.16. For God so loved the world... He gave his one and only son. Uh, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus doesn't tell these things because he wants to judge us. He's telling these things because he loves us. Because it says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. God, that's not, Jesus didn't come just to condemn everyone and judge everyone and, and say, yeah, you know what, you're going to be destroyed. You're going to I'm going to judge you. That's not what Jesus came to do, it says. No, no, what did he come to do? 
He says, he came, but in order that the world might be saved through him. He came to bring salvation. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not is condemned already. Because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. That's the, the reality of the scriptures. But Jesus said, no, it's because, of, it's because of love. I so love my people that I've come to tell you these things. Maybe this helped you understand. When I was about 10, my auntie Lisa, she used to take us uh, into town to go and see, like me and my cousins, maybe go and see the London Eye or, or go and see the House of Parliament or whatever, things like that. And um, I remember being about 10 and going, it was at Grove Park Station, just down the road, and she probably can't even remember this, but I remember very vividly. I was doing that thing that a lot of 10-year-olds do, maybe I was a bit younger, I can't remember, but, or at least what I did as a 10-year-old is you're playing with how far over the yellow line you can get, right? It's all very fun when you're in a train, there's a yellow line there, I'm going to jump over the line, and, and me and my cousin are doing that, and then you sort of got one foot hanging over the platform, and you sort of, how, you know, you're being really silly. And, and I was doing that, and I think at one point I was practically on, the, pla- on that, the train tracks, and I my Auntie Lisa grabbed me, and she pulled me away. She was quite, quite forceful. You can't say that this day and age, can you? But she did. She really grabbed me, and, um, and she shouted at me in front of the whole kind of, I was so embarrassed. She said, you, you don't play near train tracks. Right? She was very firm, very forceful. She had me by the shoulders. If you're an auntie or, or a parent or even a friend of a child, of someone who's got a child, you may have found yourself in a scenario where they've been maybe playing near the traffic, near the road, or they've been putting their hand near a fire or near a socket. And in those moments, you've had to be very forceful and very firm. You, you're not coming alongside them and going, oh, I don't think it's a good idea to play with a fire. You, you don't do that. You, say, you don't play with fire. Why? Because you want to keep them from harm. You want to preserve life. In the end, you don't want them to die, right? Because you love them as a child. This is exactly the same with what Jesus is doing here. Because he loves us and his people, he's not coming along all nicey-nicey. Sometimes we've got this image of Jesus that we've got with kind of blonde flowing hair and he's floating around with his sheep. That's not what he was like. And sometimes what we think maybe he was like, oh, come along, oh, you know, you might be destroyed. No, he's being firm and forceful because he, knows he loves his people. He doesn't want them to perish. He wants them to be saved. And take these things seriously because it's serious business. And so he uses these stories as an example. Jesus loves these people. He says, no, I've, I, you have to get this message, friends. That if you do not follow me in this life, if you do not acknowledge who I am, in the end you will perish. You will be destroyed. If you just get consumed with all the things of this world, or so concerned about what you eat and drink and, and all these things, and you forget at all who God is, and you give no regard to those things, in the end you wish you hadn't, because I will come again. And he gives another example. He sort of says, on that day, the one who's on his housetop, with, kind of was on the terrace, with goods in his house, won't come down to take them away. Likewise, the one who's in the field won't turn back. So on that day, you won't be bothered about your material possessions. Oh God, but look at all these things that I've got. I've got this great new TV. You don't care about those things. That's what he's saying. Those things won't matter in those days. You won't have an opportunity. You won't be turning back. There won't be second chances in that day. You know, you want to have an opportunity to turn back. That's what Jesus said. No, you've got to take these things seriously. And so he, he says to his people, he's very saying that, don't be distracted. Don't let the, the, the world and all the things of the world just distract you. Let me be your, be, focus, be your focus. And this is kind of where, where he comes into kind of the final part of what he wants to say. He, he basically tells his people not to be, he's told them, don't be distracted. And then he wants to say to them, if, the, the secret then, what's the secret? Of not being distracted, he says, you need to, in order to save your life, 
You need to lose it. And then he says this phrase, remember Lot's wife. Now, Lot's wife, you can read about Lot and, and, and Sodom in Genesis 18. And Lot's wife was, God had told them, you need to get out of Sodom because you're going to be destroyed, right? And so, they, and so they begin to go out and he told them, don't turn back, don't look back, don't have one eye on Sodom and one eye on me. I want you to be after me. But Lot's wife, she, she turns back. Not just physically, but it's like her heart. She, she kind of looks longingly back at Sodom. It's like her heart was still there. She, she wasn't fully committed to kind of doing what God had told her to do. And she, she's kind of wanting to foot in both camps. He says, don't be like that. She became a pillar of salt. Remember Lot's wife. That's not, what, that's not your model. Instead, if you seek to preserve his life, they will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. Jesus has lots of this teaching in the scriptures. You pick up your cross, follow me. Surrender all to me. Jesus, this is countercultural. This is radical. You've got to follow Jesus. You've got to, he says, no, I want, I want like your whole life. In other words, it's like Jesus said, if you want to be in, in my kingdom, you've got to acknowledge me as king. If you want to be a part of this kingdom that I'm going to bring in, you've got to acknowledge me as king. It's all well and good me. You know, it's not just believing in God. The devil believes in God. I can't just believe in you. I've got to acknowledge that you're the king of my life, that you're the king of my heart. I'm going to surrender to you. My life is not my own. I want to follow you and, and do your will. I want you to be my saviour, but I also want you to be my lord. I want to bow the knee and say, God, my life is, it belongs to you. That's, what the, that's the call of every believer. That's the call of us. That's what we should do daily. Say, no, Lord, I want, to, I want to follow you. It's not just about me and my life. It's about you. That's the sort of discipleship that Jesus is after here. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. You read this, you think, man, this is a challenge. As it should be, friends. Because often, sometimes, that can mean, in this world, it might bring suffering. We might suffer now. There's things that Christ calls us to do in order to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. There's things that we might need to do that might mean that we suffer now, but it means future glory. It might mean difficulty now, but it means future glory. And there's an illustration that I once saw a preacher in America, Francis Chan. He's a brilliant preacher. I really love him. And I saw years ago this illustration I want to show you today, and it involves a little bit of props and things like that just to keep you on your toes. And um, I've got in my hand here, this is a really, really long extension lead. This is a massive wire. Honestly, it's massive. And uh, it'd be great, I said earlier, for cutting your grass or something. Um, now, I want you to imagine that this extension lead I've got here, I want you to imagine it goes on Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It doesn't. It, it ends in the cupboard. But I want you to imagine it. it just keeps going and going and going, right? And then I want you to imagine it represents a timeline, okay? A, a timeline of your existence. And this part here, this sort of grey part, represents your few short years here on earth. You know, however many years that might be. And here represents eternity. And the millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of years that come after that. What I just find absolutely mental is that so many of us are so concerned about these few short years. And, and you hear people sort of think, you know what, I'm going to work really hard and save and save and save and save so I can live really well in this good part. You know... I can travel and eat well and get to go on nice holidays and do all these great things. Eat well and sleep well and, and marry and do... You think, really? And what about all of this? Because 
the scripture is really clear. Jesus is really clear. What you do in this part, how you live your life in this part, the choices that you make about Jesus Christ in this part determine how you exist for the rest of it. And that's what he's talking about in this passage. Sometimes you don't understand. You think, man, Jesus is saying, listen, don't just be so concerned with all of this. I remember when I was at, throughout my life, there's been people that have criticized me and some of the decisions that I've made. They say, oh, but that's going to affect this. Oh, what do you mean you're not going to you know, sleep with different girls at university, my friends would say. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. Oh, but you're not going to be able to enjoy this part as much. You're so stupid. It's going to affect that. I used to think, I'm stupid. You're stupid. Because what you're doing is going to affect all of this. And it's, it's, it's mental because often that's how we live our life. Jesus said, no, he wants you to have an eternal mindset. A completely eternal mindset that goes beyond just these few short years. And, and this really became, a, you know, really came alive to me this week. Because, I mean, quite devastating. A good friend of mine, a guy called Caleb, 30, who he was unfortunately died in a car crash this week. Good friend of mine. Um, he was in a car crash in Ethiopia on Tuesday. He grew up in Beckenham, was out there doing some work with the gospel and, and he was, it was been a prayer group been praying for him but on Friday about 5 o'clock he died and it's been, been a, a real kind of blurry couple of days to be honest but one of the things that, uh, about Caleb that I loved is that he built his life with an eternal mindset he was so sold out for Christ anyone who knows him and there's been so many tributes really pouring in about it, he was so sold out for Christ and for God and the things every decision that he made and so although there's pain and sorrow and, and such difficulty, there's also rejoicing. Knowing that this is not the end. That there's all of this. And, and that's where he is now. He's with his Father in glory. That's the, that's the promise of Scripture. That's the hope that we hold on to. But so often we just think, I just want to live like this. And, and it's kind of what Jesus is getting at. That's what they did in Noah's day. The judgment of God was, it was, they were warned. And they just ignored it. They just carried on with daily life. There's people in this world that are, you know, listen, you can be here one day, you can be gone the next. Here one day, you can be gone. I've seen it this week. I've literally seen it. 30 years old, bang. You, you don't know. And, and there's people that just think, I'm just going to ignore Christ and the things of God and just let the things of this world consume me. In the end, they will stand before God in judgment. It's, it's, it's sobering. For me, that, that is sobering. That is difficult. And, it, and for us, it places an urgency on us to say, no, I, want to sh- I need to tell people. I'm going to share the good news. It gives us the urgency because there's, there's people in my family who don't know God. There's probably people in yours. There's friends. You think, man, we, we, it's not just for me. There's an urgency. And I want, I want others to know this because there's a lot of things that are at stake. And Jesus continues. Where he talks about that in that moment, there'll be two in one bed, one will be gone, and there'll be two kind of grinding, and one will be gone. A lot of people have used this as a text, and they think that Jesus here is talking about the rapture. He isn't. In the context of this passage, what Jesus is talking about, it's not kind of like, oh, you'll just be in daily life, and suddenly, you know, it's like you'll be driving along, and the person, oh, they'll be gone, or you walk in the office, and everyone's gone, and you think, oh, no, have I been, is, have I been left behind? No, Jesus really made it clear. He's talking about the return of the Son of Man. That'll be a very public event. Everyone will know when the Son of Man comes again. That's not what he's referring to here. What he's actually talking about in this passage is that there'll be two people who look, on the outside, they look exactly the same. They're doing the same thing. But inwardly, there's a fundamental difference. One has put their trust in Jesus Christ. One hasn't. One is lost. 
one is saved. So people can, on the outside, can look very similar, can be doing the same thing, but, but inwardly there's fundamental differences. It's a call again, to, there's an urgency, Jesus is saying here, to, to be those who share. And then the disciples kind of give us this one final lesson because still after all of this, don't you love the disciples? They make me feel not stupid sometimes because after all of this, they go to him, but where, Lord? And, he, and it's, they're still getting bogged down with the, the, the kind of, if you like, the, the details, the practicalities of it. Jesus is trying to say, don't worry about the practicalities of it, but it's the principles. Watch your life, guard your life. Don't get distracted. Don't, don't be so concerned with us going to be here, there, and every. No, no. Just focus on following Jesus, going after him. And then he leaves us with very stark images where, where the vultures are. And he says, where the, where the corpses there, the vultures will gather. Jesus uses that image elsewhere. I think it's Matthew 24, which is really just to say, listen, where there's corpses and, and where there's decay, and that's where the vultures will be. And, and, and Jesus is, is really saying, that is the judgment that awaits for people that make this earth, this part, their all. People that just give no regard to Christ. That's the judgment that waits. And friends, we, we don't know how to talk about this stuff. It's, it makes it uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable, but it's the reality of Scripture. It, you know, this is what Jesus is saying. But one thing that we know is that this is not the judgment of those who follow Christ. This is not the judgment of those who put their trust in Jesus Christ. In fact, we can uh, have an assurance that we can follow him and be for him. And just to close, I guess, to kind of land, I just want to end with just an encouragement about the kingdom. Because one of the things that I'll say about the kingdom of God, when it comes to the kingdom, we know that actually it's already here. The king has already arrived. He came and he lived on earth and he lived perfectly without sin and he went to the grave and he defeated the power of sin and death on the cross and he rose again and he's ruling and reigning with righteousness and judgment seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places and he will come again. His victory is complete and we share in that victory. And if we're believers, we sleep easy, not in fear about when this comes, but full of faith knowing that when he comes again, we'll be called home to be with him in glory forever. But until that day comes, we say, Lord, help me keep my eyes fixed on the prize. Help me keep running after you. Help me keep daily my race to follow you and be a disciple and and follow Jesus. Help me to do that so that in the end, in the end, I'll be with you in glory. But until that comes, until that final day comes when the kingdom comes again, we say, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray and then we're going to respond and sing to Jesus.